Morning, Miss Yo. Good morning to those of you that are joining us online. Um, and to those of you that are guests in the space this morning, I had a chance to connect with two people that are guests with us this morning. But there might be a few more, and if I haven't gotten to sense to say hi yet, I would love to at some point today. But yeah, grateful to be together and get to worship Jesus uh, this morning. I've got two stories I want to share with you as we begin. Um, both of these, I heard them on Thursday. So I've got a good friend named Dave, and he's a pastor up in Vancouver. And he was at a pastor's gathering, and they're sitting at tables. And of course, they encourage them to you know, sit with people they don't know. So he's sitting around this table, and he says hello to this couple that's across from him. And he just asks them, how did you meet? And so the husband just very directly and nonchalantly just looks and says, uh, she used to be one of my prostitutes. And his mouth drops, and he looks across at her, and she goes, yep, that's true. He used to be my pimp. And Dave sat there just like, okay. And they were like, no, serious. Like, we're from Las Vegas. We grew up in that world. That was our life. Um, somebody came and shared the gospel with the man, and God radically transformed his life. He began to then just to share the gospel with everybody that he knew. And a lot of people that he knew well were the women and then the Johns. And so this woman came to know Jesus as well, and her life was radically transformed. They got married. They went through counseling. They did some deep dive into discipleship and different things. And they are a pastor couple, husband and wife. They pastor together in North Vancouver in a healthy, growing church. And we just sat there as Dave was sharing this with us. Like our mouths were dropping and like just going, God, you're so good. <laughs> like what kind of God can do this except for you? What kind of truth can bring this kind of transformation except for the truth of the gospel? Amen? We were just like, this is so cool. And so that day, literally after I heard that story, I just couldn't help but like worship. Like in my heart, I was just going, Go, Lord, like, and I began to think of people in my mind, honestly, that at times maybe I've written off and thought like, oh, there's no way they could ever meet Jesus, right? You guys track with me? You get those family members or those people in your life where you're like, oh, there's no way. Like, how could? But that just caused me to remember going, oh, like God, God can save anybody that he wants to, right? God's grace is amazing. God's love is the hope of the world and he can transform any life that, that, that he wants to or that will receive him, right? And then that same day, unfortunately, I got a, a message from a friend and they, they just said, hey, are you connected to so-and-so? Um, have you connected with them lately? And I said, no, I, I haven't. You know, I met them years ago and I haven't really been in touch. And they said, this is not for gossip's sake, but just a heads up, I wanted to let you know uh, this individual, again, a pastor, uh, just recently was caught in adultery. And unfortunately, they're a worship pastor in two, per, like, predominant uh, communities, not, not within our network, thank God. And um, like the story is coming out, there's a number of women coming out in different states and this is like gonna be a mess, so I just wanted to give you a heads up. Literally, this is all in the same day. And as quickly as in the morning, my heart was worshiping and just praising God and thanking him for his power and his goodness. In the afternoon, I'm weeping and crying, going, God, have mercy. Like, how, how could this be? Why is this? And the question in my head, honestly, was, if the gospel is true, as displayed in story one in the morning, that God can transform any life that he wants, why is it or how is it that the story in the afternoon is true as well? And there's havoc that's going to be wreaked in hundreds of lives because of the actions of this follower of Jesus. You tracking with me? And my heart was broken. And I began to think about, honestly, one of the questions I've been wrestling with as I read through the book of Colossians, is that if the gospel is true, the way that Paul believes and the way that Epaphras believes, why is it that Epaphras is running all these hundreds of miles to where Paul is in prison to say to Paul, hey, this four to five-year-old church is doing well, but there's these people coming in. And why is Paul so quick and so concerned to write this letter? Like if the gospel is true, what's the need to write this letter that says, hey, watch out? 
I want to jump in this morning to our section within the the book of Colossians and read it because I think Paul's going to tell us pretty clearly what his concern is and what we need to watch out for. And I believe it gives not just warning and concern for them back in their day, but that God's word is alive and true and relevant to us today and it gives us some things to consider and to think about this morning. Cool? So let's jump in together. This is Colossians chapter 2 that we're going to be looking in this morning. We're going to be looking at verses uh, 6 through 23 and I'm going to read it. God's word says this to us this morning, church. It says, Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority." In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used? according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Again, our context here is that Paul is writing this letter. He's in prison. This church in Colossae is about four or five years old. It was planted by Epiphras. We learned that in chapter one. We'll hear about him again in a few chapters. Uh, So Epiphras is basically Paul's son in the faith. Basically, then all the people in Colossae are, are Paul's grandkids in the faith. And so Paul's writing and to warn them against a number of things that are happening. And here's what I would propose to you is that as Paul writes this, he's concerned about their theology, their knowledge of God, but he's also concerned about their spirituality, their experience of God. And if you put those two things together, really what I believe Paul is concerned about is their spiritual formation. The health of their soul and the growth of their soul in union with Christ, in love with Christ, and them having continual interaction with God over and over and over again so that they experience the internal transformation that the gospel can and desires to bring within our lives so that therefore then the life around us is transformed. Paul's concerned with all of those things as he writes this. And so he starts off this section by saying, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. Basically, he's saying by grace through faith, you accepted Jesus as your Lord. So continue to follow him, continue to depend on him. Let your life, your strength, all your marching orders, your everything come from Christ alone. 
and seek to continue to grow in your understanding of what the truth of the gospel is and how it applies to all of your life, okay? And then he begins off the the meat of this this section, and he says in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. We're going to hear Paul in this section give three warnings that I believe he's wanting to bring to the, to the more forefront of their minds. In chapter 8, as we just read, excuse me, verse 8, as we just read, he's reminding them to see to it, he warns them to see to it that no one takes you captive. In verse 16, he's going to give the second warning that says, therefore let no one pass judgment on you. And in verse 18, the third warning is going to say, let no one disqualify you. And basically, I believe that all of these warnings are heading in this direction. Paul's two main questions, I think, that he's concerned about are this. Are they growing more deeply in love with Jesus? Or are they being pulled away by something else? Are these people in Colossae, are they becoming more whole in Christ? Or are they becoming more fragmented by the things of the world? Okay? If we have those two questions, throw them up for me, just so people can see them. Are they growing more deeply in love with Jesus? Or are they being pulled away? And are they becoming more whole in Christ or are they becoming more fragmented by the things of the world? Let's look at the first one in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. Paul's basically reminding them that any human tradition, any philosophy, any ideology, any teaching that's out there that's not grounded in Christ and the truth of his kingdom, he's basically reminding them that it's ultimately empty. And very likely, deceitful as well. Why? Because it comes from just the human heart, the human mind. It's it's derived from humanness and not tied to or connected with God. He's not saying that like the whole field of philosophy is bad. No, he's talking specifically about philosophies, traditions, ideologies that man makes up and tries to give out to one another, to guide one another in these things. And Paul's saying, look, don't allow yourself to be captive of that. To use the word captive means what? You're already free from something. Don't don't be captive again now to some sort of thinking, ideology, framework, worldview that is not in line with Christ and the truth of his gospel. Not in line with the truth of the love of God. He goes on to say, why? Because Christ is the full embodiment. It says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells in body, and you have been filled in him who is the head of the rule of authority. See, in the day, the culture was coming around and saying to them, to these Christians, you might be have partially what you want in Christ, but you also need to have this as well. You might have this gospel that you believe in, but you also need this other ideology and way of thinking if you're going to be full and complete and astute and wise the way that you're saying you want to, Christians in Colossae. You need to have this as well. Add this on to that gospel that you say you believe. And Paul is reminding them, no, 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 no. Look, Christ is the fullness. All the fullness of God dwells in him. He's talking about the incarnation and that that Christ is the very incarnation of God and his love completely. And he says, you have been made complete through your trust in him. You don't need anything else to experience wholeness and the fullness of, of, of wisdom and understanding in this world. You need Jesus, is what Paul's reminding them. And if you have Jesus by grace through faith, don't allow yourself to get captivated by anything else. You've already been set free from those things. He's saying, so, so stay, stay the course. There is no greater authority of wisdom, of understanding, of thinking than Jesus. Because he is God. And you have been made full in God. You have him, therefore you have the fullness that you're looking for in this area. So don't let yourself be captive. 
The second warning, down in verse 16, he says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. If you're familiar with Scripture at all, you you look at these and you might go, oh yeah, these were part of the traditions and the rituals of of, of Israel, of Judaism, that God passed down. So therefore, they're actually good, right? (laughs) They're good things. But Paul's point is here. Those are shadows, he says, of what was to come. All of those things that were instituted and set into place, they were good, and they helped the people for a season and for a time to follow God. But he's saying now that Christ has come, Christ has fulfilled all of that, and Christ is the one who points you in the right direction. Christ is the one who is taking care of that. And I've got to ask this question again. If the gospel is true, like what's even the appeal that these people would want to go back to that thing? I think the appeal is this. For half this church in Colossae was, was, was from Israel, from Jewish background. Half this church was from like pagan background. They had no awareness or understanding. And I think what Paul is concerned about is the reality is if you, if you were caught up in the pagan world, the, the pagan world was, was so, so crazy. <laughs> I mean, it was just a mix and a mash of everything. You can kind of do whatever. And so when you heard the gospel and you came into the church, one of the appeals, I think, was that the people would go, oh my gosh, this was so crazy over here. If I, if I actually have these structures and these clear guidelines, it'll actually help guide me. It'd give me a sense of like moral clarity and to know that I'm advancing or that I'm moving in the right direction. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me on that? It allows me to know like this world of uh, whatever, there, there's some structure here. And I have this sense of feeling good because I know if I can check off and do this, this, and this, I'm moving in the right direction. I'm growing spiritually, I'm growing healthily, I must be a good Christian. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Those regulations from the Torah and all those other things, those were helpful for a time. They are connected to God's truth. But now Christ has come. And he is the fulfillment of all of those things. And again, what you need to do is stay grounded in Christ, by grace, through faith, trusting in him and him alone, not adding any of your own works or any of these own things but staying grounded in the truth of the gospel of God's love for you. He says these, in verse 17, these were a shadow of things to come, but the substance, substance belongs to Christ. He's saying the power that is able to transform your life, that did transform your life and will continue to transform your life, it's Christ and his gospel alone. He's saying stay there, stay grounded in that love. Don't move from it. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you in this regard. Know that you are loved in Christ by God, and that's, that's there for you. The third warning, he says this in verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in this world, do you submit to these regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things, all that perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed, again, an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul here again, this warning, don't let anyone disqualify you. Again, what he's saying to them as he lists off this list of do not touch, do not taste, all these things, he's saying, Christ already fulfilled those on your behalf. You are already fully and completely qualified in Jesus Christ. Through his perfect life, through his death, through his resurrection, you're qualified. 
Those things don't apply to you anymore as you put your faith in Jesus. He is your qualification before God and before this world. Ultimately, he's calling them back to an identity that is founded and grounded only in Jesus Christ and his love for them. And all of this, Paul is saying, is basically this, that Jesus is your life, Jesus is your freedom, and Jesus is your wholeness, okay? Pretty good theology, right? Jesus is your life, Jesus is your freedom, Jesus is your wholeness. And what does he ground this in? Before we apply this to ourselves, what, do we, what does he ground this in? The meat of this, this section, it's kind of like he starts off and he ends with something, and everything actually flows either into or flows out of this section in verses 11 through 15, which I want to look at together. Paul writes this, he says, In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were raised with him through the power of powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. There's four things in this that Paul is declaring that, that, that's true about them in Christ. Remember, Paul's always going to be writing about here's who God is and here's who Christ is and in light of that, here's who you are. And these are four in Christ that Paul writes here. He says, in Christ, God has done a circumcision of your heart and that has set you free from the power of the sinful self. You and I don't have the ability to be set free from our sinful desires and, 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 and longings and, and things. But God has already done that for us in a circumcision of our heart, not done by human hands. In Christ, You've been set free from the power of sin. Paul goes on next. He says, in Christ, God forgave all your sins. So not just the power of sin to continue doing it, but any sin that you've already ever committed, he's saying, God has forgiven you of that. He says, you are, you're now alive in Christ because of the, the debt which has been you owed because of sin. God's already paid that in Christ. Number three, he says, in Christ, God defeated the evil and demonic powers and the authorities of the spiritual world. See, one of the things about the crucifixion, actually in the Roman day, in the Roman time, there was a lot of different ways that they could punish people, right? But if they absolutely wanted to humiliate someone, if they absolutely wanted to shame someone, what would they do? They would crucify them. They would hold them out there in public and open shame. And it would be the Roman government declaring, we are the greatest power, we are the greatest authority. If you defy us to the level that really gets us mad, we're going to hold you in this open shame. And Paul says here, is that what God did when Christ was crucified is he flipped and he turned the table on that. Because when Christ was died and then he was resurrected, God was putting the powers of this world, every authority in this world, every government, everything that thinks it can exalt or hold itself up to him and his power, he flipped it on its head and he said, look, Christ has risen. That crucifixion, that's you, earthly systems. That's you, human power. That's you, sin. That's you, evil demonic spirits. That's you being put to open shame. I raised the one who you crucified to life. That stuff is all shameful. That stuff is all powerless. Christ is exalted. Who's in shame now? And Paul says, that's what God did on the cross. We have no shame. And there's no power, no authority that when you put your faith in Jesus that can overcome and overtake you if you stay rooted, grounded, solid, connected to Jesus by grace through faith. His love being your identity. His love being your place of provision, of your care, of your wholeness, of your freedom, 
of your qualifications in this world. And finally, he says this, in Christ, when you were baptized, you were buried with him and you were raised with him. And again, this is an external display of the power of, through which God has done a work in your life. Paul's basically saying, in Christ, you've been set free to live in loving union with God. So don't let anybody take you captive again. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Don't let anybody pass judgment on you according to earthly standards. Christ has all done this for you. And you are now free to living loving union with God. Good news? I appreciate, um, there's an author I've been reading. Her name is Cindy Lee. She's an adjunct professor down at Fuller Theological Seminary. And she wrote a book in the last year, kind of in the pandemic, um, called um, Our Great Unforming. And I love that she talks about spiritual formation and the development of people holistically in these truths that we've been looking at today. See, I told you that I believe that Paul was writing, and Paul's always concerned about the theology, right? The knowledge of God, what people know. He just gave us some good theology here, yeah? He's also concerned about their spirituality, their experience of God, and Paul's been talking about that. Ultimately, I think Paul, again, is, is concerned about their holistic spiritual formation. The growth of their soul in the love of God as they interact with the truth of the gospel over and over and over again. And I love how Cindy Lee talks about this. She talks about the soul in a way that I think is helpful. Uh, and she says this. She says, the word soul is a fuzzy term that is hard to grasp and define, excuse me, let me read that again. The, the word soul is a fuzzy term that is hard to grasp and define with words. But we all intuitively experience our souls. I find it helpful to think of the soul not as a being or an object, but as a space. The soul is the space where your sacred self dwells. This means your soul is also the space of prayer. It's where your most honest and sacred self meets with God. Rather than thinking of prayer as an activity or a practice, I think of it as sharing space with God. Sometimes in prayer, we have conversations with the Spirit. And on the days when we're not sure what to say, we may simply sit in silence together. In that space, God sees us clearly. And on good days, we see God clearly as well. I, I tried to make this graph and this picture of what I believe she's describing uh, for us. It was helpful for me to look at and think about my soul as, as a space. See, I think what, what Paul has been talking about in this whole chapter, really in this whole book, and what Cindy Lee's talking about here, is that the soul is a space. And again, I appreciate when she puts the words and says, like, when I say the word soul, we, it's hard to define, but we all intuitively get it, right? Like, it's, it's, it's here somewhere, you know what I mean? And so to think of it, not of an object out there or a space, but to think of it as a space within me. And it's the place where me and my honest self, my true self, and God are existing in loving union. Not because I did anything to earn that place or to clear the way for me to be in that space, but God in Christ did everything so that God and I could be united in love, loving union. And my spiritual formation, my growth in the truth of God's love and of the gospel, it's the transformation that happens inside of my soul, inside of my life, as I encounter God again and again and again, both in the good things and the bad things of life, okay? See, and here's what I think the picture of what Paul was painting is this. Oh, here, let, let me read the next thing. Cindy Lee goes on to talk about spiritual formation in the soul this way. She says, in that space, in this soul space, our souls hold our deepest desires, which other people may never see and of which even we may be unaware. When we yearn to hear from God, the soul is where the whispers of the Spirit reverberate. 
Because our souls can get distracted by all the voices fighting for our attention, the space of our souls can be unhealthy, or they can be healthy or unhealthy. When our souls are healthy, we hear, we have a clear view of ourselves and a clear view of God. When they're unhealthy, our view of self and our view of God become distorted. See, I think in some regards, this is exactly what Paul is saying. When he says, don't let anyone disqualify you, don't let anyone take you captive, don't let anyone... um, judge you in certain things. He's saying beware of these outside voices with a worldview and perspective, a philosophy other than the gospel. Because those voices, those things do come into our soul. They do come into this space. And so here's what I think that space might look like back in the day. See, I think what Paul was warning them against is allowing your soul space to become like this. There's all these outsides. What Christ has done already, again, is create so that you, your honest self and God, exist in loving union in this space of your life. And Paul's saying, watch out. Be careful. There's outside voices. There's pressures. There's things going on that are coming to you and saying, human precepts, special festivals, asceticism, human traditions, don't taste, don't handle, don't touch, self-made religion, circumcise your flesh, celebrate Sabbath, all these voices, all these things. And Paul's saying, watch out. Those are going to come in and they're going to crowd out that soul space so that you and God are not even aligned together in this loving union, but it's just all a mess up in there. And the very thing that Christ created you for and freed you to experience loving union with God gets all up because these outside forces come in. And so Paul says, don't let them take you captive. Don't let them disqualify you. Don't let them mess it up. The love of the gospel or the love of Christ Jesus experienced and explained and revealed in the gospel. That's your source of life. That's your source of wholeness. That's your source of freedom. Nothing else. I had some fun and I thought about what are some things in our day and our time. This is what Paul was warning against in his day. But what about our time? I think we've got similar voices, similar pressures, similar things where Paul would say to us today, and I believe God says to us today, I've created you for loving union with me, for your soul to be free in my love and your identity to be found in my love. But there's all these voices that come and say, you need this knowledge. You need to have control and comfort over your life. You need efficiency. You need power. You need access. Don't forget there's some works righteousness that you need to do as a good Christian today. Sexual freedom, wherever and however, that's yours to go. Asceticism, human productivity, you name it. I was just thinking about what are some in my, what what, what would you put in your soul space right now? If you're honest to to think about and name, what, what are some of the things that are crowding your soul space? where the voices of culture, human wisdom and philosophies have seeped in there. And instead of your soul feeling free and alive and whole, solely and fully in the love of Jesus, there's these other things that have crept in. See, Cindy Lee says when we allow those voices to come in, and I think again, Paul is saying the same thing, when you allow these other voices to come in, Our soul can either be healthy or unhealthy. And we can either then see ourselves clearly or we can see God clearly or not. Depending on what we're grounding ourselves in. What are we founding our faith on? What are we rooting and planting ourselves in and and basing our life on? What are we walking in? 
See, church, the work of the gospel, I think Paul's reminding them, is first and foremost internal. <laughs> and what Christ has done is set us free. He has made us whole. He has qualified us and said that our identity can now be found wholly and fully in loving union with God the Creator through Jesus Christ His Son and the dwelling of His Spirit that leads and guides us into all truth. Our justification in Christ happens in a moment. It's amazing. Our sanctification in Christ might take a lifetime. And we have to continue to walk it out step by step by step. Being careful not to allow ourselves to be disqualified by anyone else or by ourselves when we get captivated by anything other than the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of God's love for us and all that he has done through Christ to reclaim and redeem us as his own. How's your soul this morning, church? Here's the questions I want us to reflect on and consider this morning. Are you growing more deeply in love with Jesus or is there something that is pulling you away? Are you becoming more whole in Christ or are you becoming more fragmented by the things of the world? See, spiritual formation I don't think is necessarily about progress, the way that we define progress in our Western society. Spiritual formation is about wholeness. It's about our wholeness in Christ. It's about our wholeness in the love of God. Are you becoming more whole in Christ? Or are you becoming more fragmented by the things of this world? The things that you're allowing, again, into your soul space that are cluttering up the view and the connection between you and God. And practices are good. Practices are good. Disciplines are good. Things that help us to stay grounded and rooted and built up and established, as Paul talked about as we kick this off. So what are the things that are keeping your soul from, or excuse me, yeah, yeah, what are the things that are keeping your soul connected from God? But then also, what are the things that help you connect with God? What are the things that help you connect with Jesus and God's love so that you can grow more in love with him and become more like him in the world? I invite us this week to, to consider these things and to think about who Christ is and what he's done for you. He set you free to live in loving union with God and to live from that space. So here, here's one last little graph I want to show you. I believe that what happens is that when we're aligned with, with, with Christ and we're aligned with God, go to, the, go to the fourth one for me, is that inside of our soul, our soul stays free and our soul stays just aligned <laughs> in, in the love of God. My honest and true self with with. God. And as we experience then the transformation or the identity, the reality of, of my heart, my soul aligned with God, what happens is that all these other things, I, th I made the soul kind of a dotted line because it is prone outside, but those things don't get into my soul and crowd it and muck it up. Instead, my identity in Christ informs all of these things and I can rightly order them and rightly place them. When I know who I am in Jesus because of what he has done for me, through his death and his resurrection and my participation in that, then I look at my relationships and I go, okay, I know how to engage with that based upon a soul that is filled with the love of Jesus. 
I can properly steward my intellect. I can properly steward money and put it in its right place. I can think about properly my gifts and my talents, my work, my vocation, my time, my physical health, my sexuality, all the things that make up who I am. All of that then is rightly ordered, rightly stewarded as it's an outflow of the love and of the union that I have in Christ with God as his spirit and the gospel work themselves out to transform me internally again and again and again. I think that's Paul's central message in this passage for us, church. And what I want to invite us to wrestle with this week. This morning, we're going to do as we often do to celebrate communion. We're going to worship again and we're going to take communion. And this morning, I want to remind you of what this represents. That these physical, tangible elements, the bread which represents the body of Christ broken for us, And this juice in the cup which represents the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. These physical elements represent tangibly for us all of the things that Christ has done for us in the spiritual realm. A a true reality as well. Even maybe more true than these physical elements. But hard for us sometimes to, to feel, to touch, to taste, to get a sense of. But this is why we practice this sacrament is that these physical elements remind us of the truth of who we are in Christ and what God has already done for us in Christ. Forgiven us of our sins, every single one, past, present, and future. He has disarmed the spiritual authorities and powers of this world. They are powerless over us when we stand in Christ in the truth of his love. There is no judgment and no condemnation for us in Christ. We're reminded of that. He's done that for us. There's no judgment that we need to receive upon ourselves. He's cleared us of that. And he has given us a new identity. And his brokenness represented on this table has made us whole. Whole and free in the love of God to live in loving union with him and in reconciled relationship with one another and this world. And to go out into this world and declare this truth that others might experience that wholeness as well. Amen? This table is here for you to receive and be reminded of God's love for you when you're ready.